Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Choftetz, Lamed, daf Lamed. We're going to go from Choftetz Hamud Beis 29b, about the ninth last line. We just end, we were discussing, again, remember the Mishnah said, the items that are a responsibility on the father, they're for the son, but they're the responsibility of the father. And the one we just discussed was learning Torah, as we said that... Um, Learning Torah is a mitzvah for the father to teach his son Torah. And uh, we had that amazing, uh, I didn't get a chance to look into some of the depth of what, a story with the demon and Abayah's yeshiva. Why would Rabbi Achabar Yaakov be the one who can handle that demon when Abayah couldn't? And, uh, you know, what what does it represent? I didn't get a chance to look into that. Um, Just regarding uh, Torah learning, we said that uh, there's no mitzvah on the father to teach his daughter Torah. it's a big discussion. Um, on the one hand, um, there's clearly a positive commandment for men to learn Torah, and I guess for a father to teach his son, and not for women. However, even those who are, I don't know what the word is, reluctant and concede that there's room for women to learn Torah, even if they're not so enthusiastic, there's plenty, because women also have to know how to live a life to connect to Hashem, to follow halachas. And if you think about it, what halachas a woman has to know, so obviously she has to know the ones that she's involved in, Taras HaMishpacha, if she's involved in preparing food, she has to know uh, large sections of uh, Yoridea, if she has to, uh, she has to know Choshen Mishpat, she has to know she can't damage and when she's allowed to and what she's not allowed to do. Um, the, the discussion of kids eating uh, before they... Uh, before you've bought the items, you have to know, you know, so there's plenty, plenty for women to learn that's clearly, that would almost be an obligation. Again, it's not, it doesn't stem from the same mitzvah as men, that men have a positive commandment to learn, but it stems from the mitzvah of them knowing how to serve Hashem. Um, obviously, um, ideas of emuna and bitachon and you know, those sort of ideas of how to approach Hashem and uh, those things also would be very relevant to women. And then what's extended in the last few years is that you have many, many women, um, well, firstly, equally involved in society as men, which makes them need a whole new level of uh, engagement. If, if you want someone to be part of society and still connect to Hashem, they have to be engaged with Hashem, uh, at least the concept of Hashem, and therefore it would be imperative that women and girls know how to learn and they're engaged and they um, and uh, and not just I would, I would imagine passive uh, bearers of uh, the tradition um, and another aspect is uh, to be very aware is you have women I don't know over the last two or so hundred years women getting involved in very intellectual and as a sophisticated uh, I don't know what the word would be, subjects in university as men to come along and say, but you have no access to the Torah or you can't learn Torah. That is, uh, in my mind, that's very problematic. Um, just where, uh, again, where you, what values are you putting before your daughters? You've got a daughter and you're going to tell her, well, yeah, I don't mind you becoming a doctor, but leave Gomorrah, you're just not, uh, or leave, you know, don't learn Torah. Like, it just doesn't, in my mind, it sounds like you, you, you're sending them away with no path, uh, with no path. Um, I, would, I would say uh, that, that would be uh, my general approach. Um, and interesting, I mean, where, where it gets more complicated is what we saw in Sota, where the, what's it, the, I think it was Sota, where the Moses says, if you teach your daughter Torah, it says, if you're teaching her Tiflis, 
Um, okay, so you're going to have to deal with that. Gomorrah, that Rambam, who bring that. But let's go back in So We're discussing the importance. Should a person get married first or learn Torah first? And we brought it. It depends. If you kind of, based on the Machlok, as Rabbi Yochanan and Shmuel, it depends on your situation. Okay, that's a very uh, smart, pragmatic answer. It depends on who you are in your situation. So you're wealthy and uh, you're going to have, there's a base medrash close to home. So get married. You've saved yourself a whole lot of issues with desires and uh, distractions. And you can sit and learn comfortably. But if you're poor and you're going to need a profession and how you're going to support your family, well then it might be more important to learn a little bit before you get married so that you can uh, get some learning. And then you'll get married and be, uh, what's it, as Rabbi Yochran used the... The, the phrase, you have a millstone looking after your family and making sure to provide for them. You have a millstone hanging around your neck and you expect it to learn Torah. Um, so, so that's a person's got to be uh, pragmatic and see what, will, what, what do they need, where, they, where their, I guess, where their drives and desires and distractions taking them, where will they be, when will they be able to learn most effectively, and those are considerations. Mishtabach, Let's start again about the ninth, tenth, last line. Mishtabach, Rav Chizda, Rav Hanuna, but Rav Hamnuna. Rav Chizda was praising Rav Hamnuna to Rav Hamnuna, to Adam Godel, who's saying how great he was. He says, okay, so when he comes, bring him to visit me. I want to meet this great Rav Hamnuna. So when he came, he saw he didn't have his head covered. He says, why is your head not covered? It seems that, as we'll see, I'm not married yet. It seems that they used to cover their head. Um, you know, married men used to cover their head in a certain way that was distinct. Um, maybe like uh, married men nowadays, when they're davening, they put a talus over their head or something like that. Um, but it was distinct. This is a bewildered. Why not? So he says, no, I'm not married. He says, oh, my lay. Um... He turned his face from him. He says, I don't want to see you until you've got married. Um, don't, uh, yeah, don't visit me until you're married. Rav Huna, the time man, this is Rav Huna, according to his reasoning. If a man is um, a man who is 20 years old and is not yet married, he's, every day he's transgressing in Avera. You think he, what he's literally doing Avera is every day because he's not married? His whole, his whole life is uh, distracted with Avera, thoughts of Avera. Okay, so, so again, I don't know why he couldn't look at him, but he felt that this was an Avera that he had to get, uh, it just wasn't appropriate to, uh, for the Holy Rafuna to see someone who wasn't, who was of that age and not yet married. Um, I don't really understand why. I mean, we haven't seen any other Abaris. Oh, uh, don't look at, uh, I can't look at your face because you're not married. So I'm not sure why, here, yeah, what the significance of that is. Um, okay. Until a person is 20, Hashem sits and he waits. When will this person get married? When he reaches 20 and he's not yet married, his bones should swell. 
This that I have an advantage over my colleagues is because I got married at 16. If I would have got married at 14, I would have um, been able to say to the Sultan, this is arrows in your eyes. I would have been uh, that much more in control and... Uh, able to overpower the Satan. Um, yeah. While your sons um, while, while your hand is still on your son's neck we'll discuss exactly what that means but while you have some aspects of control over your son from that's from 16 to 22 and some say it's from 18 to 24 and this age lines up with the because it says um, educate a child according to his way. One says this is from one says this is from 16 to 22. And the other one says this is from 18 to 24. Okay, so it's in that. I would almost say they're not arguing. It depends on his maturity, whether we're discussing a 16 to 22 year old or an 18 to 24 year old. And very interesting. So the one shot in this Rashi brings is that we're discussing. Just use your, while you still have an influence over your son, or your hand still rests on his neck, take that opportunity to make sure he gets married and find him a good wife. That would be the simple way to read it and to fit in. But Rashi gives another chat which I actually think makes a bit more sense. He says, once the child, about 16 or 18, he's reached a level of maturity, but he is still, um, I don't want to say, in his father's control, but he's still greatly influenced by his father. So father should use that age to, uh, basically he says, to teach him rebuke, uh, to guard him seriously. When he's younger than 16, you can't really give him harsh musa because he won't get it. He doesn't, he doesn't really understand what life's about, that you can uh, guard him seriously. And uh, similarly, when he gets older than that, well, then the father has his influence and his ability to affect this is very, very minimal. So that's an opportune age to give over, what would be the word, important life lessons that he's now mature enough to handle. He won't rebel. If he's taught them later, he won't, he'll rebel against it. And if he's taught it young, he won't really understand it. Just in, important, right? He says, on this, um, Tra- uh, train or educate a child according to his way. So Rashi explains, uh, Train him in the way that his whole life he can, uh, he can practice. You've got to teach him that at a young age. And then this young, for, at least for this topic, the young age is around six. 16 or 18. Um, generally, we say obviously that's even with a young child we often speak about. You've got to make sure that you're giving the child the tools he needs for his whole life. When you educate, you've got to, I mean, I guess this is from my side, but if you interact with young children, it's relevant to you. Um, when you're teaching a, um, a child, you can teach them exactly what they need for that moment and in a way that will help them for that time. Um, but part of what's important is to realize you want to teach them in a way, give them the tools 
that they can take that through them with life, through throughout life. So I think important, like often you think, oh, in primary school, it's very easy. You intimidate, I don't know if intimidate, you uh, scare the children so that they sit quietly and listen and do what they have to do. But then how's that going to help them further in their life? You've got to teach them in a way that motivates them, that excites them, so that it carries on into the older. However, again, uh, easier said than done, but you've got to be careful that you're training children, teaching them in a way that they'll be able to take through with the rest of their lives. Okay, how far does a person have to teach um, Torah? On the surface, he's asking is how much does he have to teach? So, Mikra Mishnah, the Talmud, Halachas Bagados. Like Zvulun ben it was this person they knew. Um, his grandfather taught him Chumash, Mishnah, Gemara, Halachas, Agados. All of those. It says, Lindo Mikra in Melamdo Mishnah. If he's taught him, um, once you've taught your son Chumash, you don't have to teach him Mishnah. And Rabbi says, when we say Mikra, not only are we not referring to the whole, we're not even referring to the whole of Tanakh, we're just referring to the Torah. It says, so what do you, what do you mean? You told me that we asked how much do you have to teach him, and we said everything. And then, but that's not true. You only have to teach a mikra. So the says, no, kazvulun ben dan When we were asking, what we were saying is, in some ways, you got to be like, like teach him like zvulun ben dan, and in other ways, not so. Kazvulun ben dan shelim to aviv of a aviv beloi kazvulun ben dan de ilahas a mikra mishnah v'tamud alochas v'agados ilahacha mikra levad. Now, when we said you got to teach him like zvulun ben dan, and we were saying, how far do you have to teach someone that? Even a grandfather has this obligation to his grandson. That's what we were saying, Kizvulun ben Dan. But regarding how much you have to teach him, we weren't saying Kizvulun ben Dan. Now on this, there's a very important point. Didn't we just say, so what is it? In the previous Amud, we had Rav Achabar Yaakov discussing sending his son to Abayi's Yeshiva. That's sending his to one of the elite Torah institutions of their time. You're not sending him there to learn Chumash. You're sending him there to learn as much Torah as he can. Whereas here we're saying all the obligation of a father or a grandfather to teach the grandson is just on Chumash. So which one is it? So there are various answers given, but the one the Chazunish presents, which I think is quite important, he says there's two aspects. One is that a person has to learn Torah and no Torah as that. Another obligation upon the father is to set up their child for a successful religious life. What does and what's your son going to need to live as a successful Jew? And that would depend on who you are as the father, who the son is, what are his abilities, what sort of challenges is he going to be facing, and that could extend much more. And that's what that's what was the previous price. He realized, look, obviously I want to train my son. Achabar Yaakov wanted to teach his son Yaakov. I want to give him the best religious education as possible so that he can grow up to be the best Jew he can. It's not good enough that he just knows Kumash for that. I want him to go to Yeshiva. Okay, he saw that that, that wasn't his uh, forte, that wasn't for him. He wasn't having success in Yeshiva. So he made another plan. But but that's a, that's an important thing to be aware. There's, a, there's the, obviously the learning Torah, I guess, let's call it the technical aspect of the mitzvah. But then there's the whole aspect of educating and raising your children, and it seems to extend to your grandchildren to live, or maybe not to grandchildren, maybe the obligation of grandchildren is only on Torah and on parents or a father at least, but 
I would ex- I don't know why we wouldn't extend it to a grandfather um, to guard their children, teach them as much as they need to live as uh, as God fearing um, Jews. Okay, we generally say our God is the non-alachic parts of Shas. The parables and metaphors, philosophy, uh, Kabbalah, all those things. Is someone obligated to teach his father's father? The Bryce taught that you have to teach your sons, are your sons and not your grandsons. But what about the other possible which says, and you shall make them known, the Torah known to your sons and your grandsons? Someone who teaches a son Torah, he gets some of the merit as if he taught not only his son, his son, and his grandson for all generations. Because I guess you're influencing all future generations. If you think about it, the influence that a person who teaches their son Torah has, when that son goes and raises a Jewish family, who raises a Jewish family, who raises a Jewish family, before you know it, over a hundred years, you've had the influence of raising hundreds and hundreds of people as Jews. And Huda Omar Kihotana Titania, he's in line with the following Brysa. The poet says you shall teach the words of the Torah to your sons, Says that's your sons. What about your grandsons? So he says to your sons and your grandsons. Also, it's actually So then, why does the Torah say your sons and not your daughters? Okay, so it actually seems to be a machlok has to know him how to read those psukim. Whether there is even a mitzvah to teach your grandsons. One opinion says there isn't, and the other the opinion we just did says that there is a mitzvah to teach your grandsons. Anyone who teaches, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi says, anyone who teaches his grandson Torah, it's as if he received it from Har Sinai. As the Pasuk says, you shall make known to your sons and your grandsons. With some and the very next Pasuk next is, on the day that you stood before Hashem at Har Sinai. So we see that uh, there's a great, great significance of teaching Torah. I'm not sure is it as if the Torah that you teach your grandson, is that as if you receive that Torah from Har Sinai? Or is it as if the grandson's standing there receiving it from Harsina. But either way, there's a very special dimension of Torah that's taught along the generations. He found he was, he had thrown a, a cloth on his head and he was rushing his child to school. He was in such a rush in the morning to get his kids to school, he had like thrown his uh, talus over his head, but you could see that he wasn't dressed properly. It had like just quickly thrown it on to rush. He says, what's the rush? Says, what, you think it's a small thing, this, that it says, you shall make known to your sons again and your grandsons, and it says, if you're standing at Har Sinai, he says, this is a big deal to me, I want to make sure my grandson gets the best uh, Torah education so that I've got a rush. Um, from then onwards, Rabbi Chiyabar Abba would not even eat a little bit of his breakfast until he had made sure 
that he had taught his grandson a little, not only revised what he learned the day before, but also taught him a little bit of uh, a new, some new Similarly, Rabbi Barafuna would not eat anything until he had uh, made sure he got his grandchildren to school. So, uh, Mervyn, got a good uh, thought, but, also, but now you know maybe what you should be discussing with them in the car. <laughs> um, Liverpool, Liverpool, yeah. Inter, interspersed Liverpool with the many, many years. Keep you going up. Omar Rav Safra, Mishum Rav Yishur Ben Chanina, Rav Chananya, Rav Safra said in the name of Rav Yishur Ben Chananya, What does it mean you shall teach it to your children? Don't read it as Vishinantam, read it as Vishinantam. The standard word would be Vishonisim, you shall teach. So Vishinantam already has the connotations of repetition, like that's the extra noon. So he's saying, but, uh, oh sorry, the word Vishinaisim, teach, also comes from the word like repeat. And now you're adding in Vishinantam with an extra noon. That means go over it many times. What does it mean a person when it comes to teaching? A person should split up his years into three. How do you know how long you'll live? I'm what, so you're going to spend your first 20 years and then you're going to, uh, what, you're going to, long, or you're going to live hopefully much longer and you're going to have not as expenses. What do you do? It's not, it means by day. Some explain that means by the week. So spend Monday and Tuesday on Chumash, Wednesday and Thursday on uh, Mishnah and Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Shabbos, you can do a Chazor on the whole week. But that's, um, Tosas is not too happy with that. He says, what do you mean? You still don't know what happens if Chaz Shalom the person dies on a Wednesday. And he hasn't divided it by a third. So he says, no. Um, Therefore, Tosas wants to say that you should split each day into three. He says, and that's why we have the Minak Batam before Dabling will after... Um, after Bikas HaTorah, we do some Sukkim, uh, which counts as a Mishnah, and, uh, well, a Mishnah and a Gemara, those are the three paragraphs of Bikas HaTorah, or someone who said to split up the, the parts we don't say, between uh, Brachos and Baruch Shamar, it's all different uh, parts. But Rabbeinu Tam says, oh, Rabbeinu Tam points out, this is already a few hundred years old, that we don't find people spending a third of their time in Tanakh and a third of their time on the Mishnah. Basically, everyone all they spend their day learning is Gemara. So Rabbeinu Tampesh, Rabbeinu Tam explains, Sanhedrin. We rely on this that we say in Sanhedrin. Bavel, why is it called the Talmud Bavli? Lula b'mikra b'mishnah b'gemara. It's a, mish, a mixture of Mishnah, Mikra, and Gemara to Gemara to Bavel Bolumikulam. So, so wherefore, when you learn it, you're learning a mixture of everything, and that's fine. Um, some uh, strongly discourage, they say like it's a pity nowadays how little emphasis is given on to Tanakh and Mishnah, because if you learn Tanakh well and then you learn Mishnah well, like we know, you know, Ben Chamesh, the Mikra, Ben Eser, the Mishnah, you get a very good foundation to, for when you come to learn Gomorrah. And I don't know if you've ever noticed the psukim of the areas in Tanakh that you know well, when we come across them in the Gomorrah, the whole Gomorrah makes a whole lot of sense, as opposed to when you don't know where those psukim are coming from and what they mean, the whole Gomorrah is vague. Okay, so there's a... a but I think that might be a... Oh, touch and go. Okay. Um, but, uh, um, 
so the uh, but I mean but that is a slightly different thing I mean going according to age and level and but then continuing through your life I know the Rambam says he says that uh, that's all at the beginning when you're starting out that's when you need to make sure to split it in a third a third and a third but when you become familiar with the Tanakh and the Mishnayos then you can spend a lot more time on Gomorrah um, again, Gomorrah there means analyzing the Mishnahs, try what's the principle that's based on, what's the what's the case, what's you know, analyzing basically what kind of what Al Gomorrah does for the Mishnah. Um, okay, then carrying on, it says the Fichov Nikru Rishonim Sofrim. Because of all this repetition and being so careful to learn everything, the Rishonim were called Sofrim, but counters. Why shall you Sofrim call Oisha Torah? They were careful to count all the letters in the Torah. They used to say, Vob de Gichon Torah. The Vov of the word de Gichon is the midway letter of the Torah. Dorosh Dorash, Chetzion Shel the words Dorash Dorash is halfway in the words of the Torah. And the word, the Pasuk of the Hiskalach, that is of Psukim. The ayin in the yar is halfway through the letters of the Tehillim. The Pasuk of is halfway through the Psukim of Tehillim. So, he clearly knew that there was an even number, but he says, is the Vov of Gichon on this side or on that side? Um, which, which is it in the first half or the second half of the Torah? So he says, Omalei, nice, he said, Torah, Nimnis, it's okay, let's get a Sefer Torah and we'll count. Mila, Omar, Rabba, Bachana, Lazos, Mishoma, Chevi, Sefer Torah, Binimnum. Didn't Rabba, Bachana say they didn't move until they had taken a Sefer Torah and counted. So Omalei, Inu, Bekir, Bechaseris, Viaseris, Anandai, Bekinan. They were experts in Chaseris, Viaseris, and we are not such experts. As we've noticed a few times, sometimes the Torah, a word should be spelled with like a Yud but it's spelt without the Yud. Or there's an extra Vov or an Aleph or something like that. So he says, so they were, they knew exactly which letters were supposed to be there and which letters were not supposed to be. But if we were to count the letters in our Sefer Torah, we wouldn't have an accurate answer because we're not an expert. And once in a while, an extra Vov, a vov gets put in because of the pronunciation and it's supposed to be left out or a Vov gets left out. Basically, you know, So because of that confusion, you'll, you'll be a few letters out and you won't be able to tell which way it is. So there's no point. There's no point in counting. Um, very interesting. The Shagas Arya therefore says, he says, therefore this mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah doesn't really apply. He says, it's only mitzvah bonen, but because you can't write it correctly. So there's no mitzvah. Again, we know there's a mitzvah that's the last mitzvah of the Torah. Because it's bato, kisvu et tashirazos. Um, etc. Boy, Rav Yosef, Okay, fine, but the posuk of Vizkaleach is that in the first half or the second half of the Torah, it says, Abai says, Okay, at least Psukim we should be able to count. Granted, you might know the letters, but Psukim we should be able to count. So he says, No, Nami lo bekinen. We're also not experts in the Psukim. When Rav Acha came, he said from Eishrop, 
in Eretz Israel, they had the following pasuk as three psukim. Whereas we in Babel only have it as one pasuk. So you see, even the psukim, there became a little bit of a debate as to exactly how to split up the psukim, and therefore it wouldn't even work to count them. But again, we see what experts they were, the earlier generations were in the Torah. There are 8,588 uh, psukim in the Torah. Yes, there's a lot of Tehillim, Shemoyne, Tehillim, 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 to teach you something, um, but that's uh, yeah, but that's uh, that's something to think about. Tonra and Vishinantam. We mentioned earlier the price the word Vishinantam regarding teaching Torah. So it says Vishinantam. Shud varim amotutim b'vicho. Sheim yishal lecha adam davar al tegamge b'toymer lo. The words of Torah must be sharp in your mouth. Shinein from the words of a uh, sharp. Um, I clear. Rashi says, "What's mechudadim b'ticha? Chayzer aleim uvaduk ba'amkam." Do lots of chazara and uh, investigate their depth. She'im yeshalcha adam loitits tarech legam game ena shetucha loimemiyad. So that if someone asks you the question, you don't uh, stutter or hesitate. You can. You're able to answer immediately. But Tomer Law and tell him not. Yeah, Ella Amur Law, Miyad, you must be able to answer immediately. So Nehemiah is the Pasuk says, top of Lamed on the base. Emor Lachochma Choisiat, tell wisdom that you are my sister. The easiest explanation of that is, as clear as your sister is also to you, so to every law in the Torah should be as clear as that to you. There are other explanations along the lines of, just as you, you're close to your sister, you're familiar with her, so too you should be that familiar with the Torah. And now we're going to go on another drosha to that brings out the same point. Tie them on your fingers and write them on your heart. Like the arrows in the warrior are the youngsters. I a teacher's students are like his arrows, and then we're going to see that. Therefore, you must make sure that they sharp and wise, because you want your arrows to be sharp. This is the arrows of a warrior are sharp. Someone whose quiver is full of such arrows, he will be happy and not ashamed. And he can speak with his enemies by the gate. Why is What does mean to speak with your enemies at the gate? Says even when you have a father and a son, or a rabbi and his student that are delving into Torah, Bishar Echod, in one gate, I in the Yeshiva, Nasim Oivim Zebazeh, they're enemies. Each one's fighting to uh, justify their point. But they won't leave until they beloved to each other. As Vahab, there will be love at the end. I'm not going to go into the whole Russia, but very simply, um, we see when people are debating and arguing to try and understand the Torah, they, they're enemies. Each one wants to prove themselves right. And uh, however, they must make sure, when, especially I guess when a, but a father and a son won't leave the base of Medrash enemies, they'll leave uh, loving.
Um, just on Shabbos, Rabbi said, I mean, this is a similar idea. He says, people don't get jealous of their children's success and their students' success. They're only too happy if their children go greater than and are more successful than them. So I think that's also like a father and son, they'll debate and they'll try to work out what's the halacha, what's the truth, what's the correct path, and fight it out. And then, but obviously at the end, there will be full love. Um, interesting to think about, we know that a son might have to be very careful how he argues with his father because of the laws of cover of aim and not to touch or contradict them, but that's something else to think about. Tonra Bonin, the Samtem, you shall place them, it makes a drosh on the word, Samtam, a perfect potion, perfect cure. It says, Nim the Torah is compared to a, a cure for life. Moshala Aram is Like a Moshal, someone got a, a hit their son with a severe blow. Or maybe his son had a, a bad uh, injury. So and he, so he placed a special type of bandage on him and he said to him, Beni Kozman Sharitia, Al Makosecho, Echo Mashenosko, Bishosa Mashenosko, Varachos, Bain, Bechamin, Bain, Betsoine. As soon as, as long as you're wearing this uh, bandage, you can eat what you want and drink what you want and you can swim, whether or bath in hot and cold water. So you don't have to worry about anything. But if you remove it, you've got to be very careful, become infected. So Hashem says to Bnei to Yisrael, Bnei Borasi Yitzer Hora Borasi Lot Torah Tavim. My son, you created a Yitzer Hora and you created Torah as the antidote. I for Jews to function in this world without uh, losing losing themselves in it, without getting uh, totally out of control, we need the Yitzer Hora. If you delve into Torah, you won't be handed over into the hands of the Yetzirah. Shinemar, as it says, Haloim Tatis Ace, if you um, do what is good, then you will say you'll be able to hold yourself, you'll prevail. If you don't delve into Torah, you'll be handed Shinemar, the Peta Khatach Rovets. Sin crouches by the entrances, waiting to get you. Sins hold the Yetzirah. All he's trying to do, every every interaction that you have with the Yetzirah, is trying to sort of get you to slip up. Shnei says, "Vayelecho Its whole focus is on you. But if you want, you can dominate it. Shnei says, You will." Again, it's it's all one pasuk. So you have to go back and look in the pasuk how it's darshaning each word, but that we have a constant fight with the Yetzirah. The whole the Yetzirah's existence and every focus of its every moment is to try and get you. Luckily we have Torah to set us up. I just think it was interesting last night I was discussing with some people, like quite a few of their colleagues, they found that in the non-Jewish world they're able, they, they like think, you know what, this is my job, I'm happy to do it, I've got what I need to live and that's good enough. You speak to a Jew, the energy that they will be to make them, to get themselves a 5% increase of, you know, something relatively small, but the energy and the effort there, you know, to get that much more. So I'm going to say, yeah, well, I don't know, they're not paying yeshiva school fees, or I guess you could say, school fees, whatever they are. But on the other hand, we see like Jews have that very intense drive and focus. And that's especially, I was thinking, maybe that's the Yetzirah's, that drive and focus gives the Yetzirah such an opportunity. You know, you get people who are totally obsessed with their money and their materials, and you get people who are totally obsessed with their sport, you know, whatever it is. But luckily we have the Torah to, I don't want to say constrain us, but to guard us. Because it's not there, it's not there to, uh, 
rope ourselves there to create an existence that we can use those drives, that there's amazing, amazing energy that we have to direct ourselves in service of Hashem and to better the world. Okay. Should teach more Okay. Uh, That's it. What did you learn yesterday? Why don't you start by saying, what did you learn yesterday? That's, uh, uh, okay. The Yitzhahara is so hard that even is, is so harsh that even the Creator calls him Rosh. And Neymar, as the Pesach says, Ki Adam Rominorov. The Yetzer of a man, in the heart of a man, is raw from his youth. Hashem calls the Yetzer horror raw. I mean, imagine you made something, you said, that is bad. That's what he's saying. Every day the Yetzer is coming up with new strategies to, against you. The whole day is bad. He's, he's bad. The Yetzirah is overpowering you every day and it's trying to kill you. Um, the Rosha looks to the Tzadik and he tries to kill him. This Rosha we're talking about is the Yetzirah. And if not for Hashem helping you, you would not be able to handle it. As it says, Hashem will not lead you into his hand. So quite an amazing idea. Um, naturally, we would not be able to survive the Yetzirah. But Hashem's there to help us. Part of, I think, part of our challenge is to Turn to Hashem, to daven to Hashem to help us and not leave it up to nature. Tona Devei Bishmol, Beni, in Pogaba Manuvel said, Devei Bishmol taught, if you meet this Manuvel, Moshchei Leveis Amedrash, draw him into the base Amedrash. Im Ebenhu Nimov, because if he's a stone, he will be dissolved in Bazalhu Mispoitzes, and if he's iron, he will shatter. Shenemar, Aloy Kodivre Kaishnu Mashemu Kuposhit, Yefoisei Tzela. My words are like fire, says Hashem, like a hammer. Uh, smashes rock there and im um yeah or a seller maybe the coin im even who nimuach if he's a stone he will dissolve it and emma says have we called some elohulamayim for aimer avonim shikhkumayim we know it says whoever is thirsty thirsty go to water that's a euphemism for gola and torah and it says stones wear away water sorry stones wear away water Stones are worn away by water. So we see that water can wear away and um, deal with the Yetzirah. Okay, so that's a discussion of Yetzirah and the uh, huge importance of giving your son the correct, uh, let's call it the correct education so that he can get through life. And I think that's why these pieces here, the importance of making sure that he has a strong, uh, hopefully a strong connection to the Torah. isha To marry him. One of the father's obligation is to make sure his son gets married. Milanon, as where do we know this from? It's written, Get married, have children, take daughters for your sons, and take, um, sorry, take wives for your sons, and take um, husbands for your daughters. It makes sense, it's in your hands to influence your son. Why? Because you motivate your son to go get a wife. You encourage him to go on a date. says, However, is it up to you to get a husband for your daughter? The one explanation is because, remember, daughter, it's the man who pursues, initiates the 
the shiduchim that says it. So he says, so you, it's not up to you to get you. It's not hachi kamalai. Nitel lo mida le ba'oshem nechotzeal kol hechi the kotzeal echa inchi. Says provide for your daughter a nice dowry and clothes etc. So that people want to marry her. I said you can't get her to go out there on a thing, but you can make her attract an attractive uh, proposition for other men. And a father also has a responsibility to teach him child his child a profession. Take note that umonus is a profession to teach him something specific, a craft, a, a craft, etc. Says Minalan, how do we know this? So See that you have life with the wife that you love. Says im isha mamish he if it's literally talking about your wife kashem shchayv lasi or isha just as a father is obligated to make sure his son gets married kach chay of the lamda umar so it is obligated to teach him a profession chayim here refers to ra'e see that you have chayim that you have a livelihood im isha with your wife so just as the father is obligated to make sure his son gets married he's obligated to make sure that he can live. And he has a profession. And if you're going to say that in Torah, that the, that Isha is a euphemism for, not a euphemism, a metaphor for Torah, just as a father is obligated to teach his son, Torah is obligated to teach him a profession. Quite strong words motivating and saying the importance of teaching a, a profession. Others say your old father also has to teach his son to swim my time. That's also to give him, keep him alive. I was wondering, does this extend to like teaching your son about crossing a road? Would that fall unto the self-defense? Whatever a son needs to be alive. Um, okay, Rav Yehuda Oymer, Rav Yehuda says, Kol she'ainu malamed umanus malamto listios. Listios hakdatach eloki ilimad listios. Again, this is a quote from the price. Anyone who does not see, teach his child a craft, it's as if he taught him to be a gangster. What, you're teaching him to, you think you means you're teaching him to be a gangster? No, it's as if you're teaching him to be a gangster. You're going to leave him stranded, and how's he going to make money? He's going to have to join a gang. My benayu, what's the difference between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Yehuda? The Tanakhama said you have to teach him a livelihood. And Rabbi Yehuda comes along and says, if you don't teach him, and Umanus says, if you taught him to be a gangster, says, what happens if you taught him to be a businessman? That's the difference. According to the Tanakhama, that's fine. You've trained him and he can make a living. According to Rabbi Yehuda, that's not good enough. Because very often a businessman will struggle. What happens when his products fail or when there's no merchandise available or due to prices people aren't buying? So therefore, much rather teach your son a craft. That's what review would hold. A trade. On, and unless you've taught him that, you haven't fulfilled your obligation. Um, I mean, I was wondering in uh, what's it, the middle class Jewish community, if not upper class might be much more important to teach your son to be an entrepreneur or something because very unlikely that he's going to be able to make it with just uh, with just the profession. Okay, but something to think about. Then we mentioned all the mitzvahs that are well, let's, we'll see what that means but we said all mitzvahs that of the father, on the son, etc. both men and women are obligated in. It says, my mitzvahs are avala ben. What do we mean by all mitzvahs of the father on the son? It says, Maybe you're going to tell me that it means that any mitzvah that the father is obligated to do for his son, women are also obligated. But we just learned in a price on yesterday's stuff that a father is obligated in his son to give him mila and to redeem, to pay, to to uh, pidyon ben, 
But that's the father and not the mother. So it can't mean, when we said that men and women are obligated in it, it can't be referring to the mitzvahs that the father has to do for the son. So Amar Rav Yehuda, Hachik, Amar Rav Yehuda says, no, Rav Yehuda says, this is what it's saying. Kol mitzvahs ha'av ha'muteles ha'rabayim la'asoyz la'aviv, echor ha'noshim ve'echor noshim ha'yavim. Rav Yehuda said, what it is saying is that all mitzvahs that are a responsibility that are placed on the son regarding his father, to do for his father, that both men and women are obligated. And this is teaching us what this Mishnah is teaching We learnt in the following Brisa, the Pasuk says that a man must fear his mother and father. How do you know that it includes women? When it says they shall fear, we see here it's referring to two. So ish, what's the, what's the pasuk? Ish imoti ra'u. I think. Uh, let me just check it quickly to make sure I've got it exact. Yo ish ra'u. A man, his mother and his father, they shall fear. Who's they? Men and women. Both the son and a daughter are obligated in fearing their father. Um, oh, so why does the Torah say, start off with the word ish? If it's referring to both men and women are obligated, sons and daughters are obligated to fear their parents, why does it start off the pasuk, a man? She says, yeah, no, because ish, because it, man is always able to do it, where a woman is not always able to do it. Why? Because others have rishus over her. And why? When a woman is married, her first responsibility is to her husband. And therefore, there are times her, her parents might say, you know, can you do this for me or whatever? And she's sorry, I've got to worry about my, my husband first. So, But if she gets divorced, well, then the man and the woman have an equal obligation to their parents. So a woman, they have in... In essence, both a son and a daughter have an equal obligation to a parent. Just when a woman gets married, the there's a more primary obligation to her, let's call it her husband and her family, than to her parents. Um, let's leave it here for today and we'll continue with the discussion of, well, keep it up aim tomorrow.